0: You're listening to a Bark Out Loud Dog's Media Station. 92.1 WLNG, Sag Harbor, New York. W-
1: of course around the world at wlng.com right now it is a uh, balmy 86 degrees out there one o'clock and we want to uh, welcome on to the show we've got a uh, dr aaron mcginty an allergist with uh, ent and allergy associates uh, ent and allergy associates excuse me and an advisor at the stony brook southampton regional tick-borne disease resource center uh, dr mcginty thank you for spending a little time with us this afternoon
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a, uh, this is a great time to uh, speak with you as the ticks are out in full force. And, uh, and as an allergist, I know uh, one of the main things that you're looking out for is the, uh, is the alpha-gal. Can you, uh, can you explain to people what the alpha-gal tick allergy is?
2: Absolutely. It's something that keeps me very busy at this time of the year. Alpha-gal allergy is an allergy uh, that is caused by bites from the Lone Star tick. And it's an unusual allergy because it causes people to become allergic to meat from mammals. So mainly beef, pork, or lamb. I mean, those are the main mammals that we eat. But it really could be any non-primate mammal. So what's interesting about it is that it's so different from other food allergies. Most food allergies you're born with or you develop very early in life. But alpha-gal allergy, you would never, ever develop this allergy unless you happen to be susceptible to getting this allergy and you're bitten by a lone star tick. And what happens is if you are someone who's going to get alpha-gal allergy and you get a lone star tick bite, your body responds by starting to make antibody against something called alpha-gal. And this is something that's expressed in all non-primate mammals. So once you start making that allergy antibody, you become clinically allergic to hamburgers and steaks and things that you've always eaten your whole life.
1: Right, I know people have been dealing with here on the East End for uh, about a decade now. I think maybe even longer before people uh, people may not even realize what they were dealing with back uh, before then. But I know it's been around for probably at least a decade here. Uh, are there any Are there any treatments for the allergy?
2: Well, right now the only treatment is you know avoiding meat first of all because you don't <laughs> want to have a pet allergic reaction. Um, we do know that the allergy gets better over time, so. You're most likely to have a problem with meat within the first month or so after you've had a Lone Star Tick Bite, and then the longer you can go without getting another Lone Star Tick Bite, the better the allergy gets. So there is a chance that the allergy can go away just with time, provided you can avoid subsequent Lone Star Tick Bites, which you know as well as I do, is, is a real challenge out here. It can also come back. So even if you get to the point where you don't have the allergy anymore, if you're someone who has had alpha-gal allergy and you get a new Lone Star Tick Bite, the allergy can come right back.
1: Hmm. Do, the, uh, do, the, do the ticks pick it up from other mammals that they fed on and then pass it on to humans?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Chris. But interestingly, we think it's something inherent to the Lone Star Tick Saliva, Um, And the reason we think that is because people can get this allergy even from being bitten by the larval form of the Lone Star Tick. You know, what people mistakenly call chiggers out here. Um, You know, just public service announcement. We don't have chiggers on Long Island. When people think they're getting chiggers, they're being bitten by Lone Star Tick larvae, And those larvae... Uh, if they bit you, you're their first blood meal. So they haven't fed on a mammal before they've fed on you. So we think that there's something in the saliva that of even an uninfected tick that causes certain people to make this immune response that causes them to make this allergy antibody. And it, it's, so it's not unique to the Lone Star Tick. It's unique to the person. So if you're someone who's going to get alpha-gal allergy, any Lone Star Tick, can make the allergy worse. It doesn't, it's not only like carried by some along StarTex and not by others. It's more like some people are susceptible to getting this allergy and other people are not and we don't yet know what makes one more susceptible than someone else.
1: Wow, so it's not something that they pick up. They're kind of all, uh, they all carry it from from just the uh, earliest stages. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's very frightening.
2: <laughs> it sure is.
1: But it's also, um, so would that say to a person who has gotten bit by Lone Star Ticks and hasn't developed the, uh, the alpha gal that they are in some way immune, at least for
2: the time being? It's pretty encouraging. You know, it's, it's, a re- it's actually a really complicated thing, which kind of drives me crazy when people are, you know, self-diagnosing or, you know, and they don't really understand the nuances of it. So yeah, if you've been bitten by Lone Star ticks and you are eating meat and you're just fine, at this point, you certainly don't have alpha-gal allergy and there's a good chance that you are not susceptible to getting this allergy. Having said that, I think that sometimes there are people who get bitten by a lone star tick and they make a little bit of alpha gal allergy antibody but not enough to make them clinically reactive Mm. and then if they got say they stepped into a nest of lone star tick larva or they went on a golf course or on a hiking trail and they got a whole bunch of lone star tick bites in the same day that person might then make enough alpha gal allergy antibody that they do become clinically reactive to meat. so it's It's kind of confusing because you can make some antibody against alpha-gal and not even know that you have it and still eat meat just fine. So that makes it extra tricky for me as a doctor who takes care of alpha-gal allergy because I think if we took everybody in East Hampton and we sent an alpha-gal test on them, we'd see a lot more positive tests than we would see people who actually can't eat meat. Mm. So it's not really recommended to just test every single person who's ever had a Lone Star Tick Bite for the alpha-gal allergy. I think we would really be over-diagnosing it. But, you know, I tell that to people sometimes. They come in all panicky. Oh, I have a, I had a Lone Star Tick Bite. I really want you to test me. And I'm like, well, you know, it could end up opening a can of worms that never needed to be opened up because you may have this little teeny tiny bit of antibody that's not necessarily clinically relevant, and then what do we do with that information, you know? So that, it gets tricky. I always tell people, I've been bitten by many Lone Star ticks in my life, and I've never tested myself for alpha-gal allergy.
1: Well, it brings up a word we've all gotten quite used to in the last year, and that's uh, asymptomatic, you know? I guess that's sure. sort of <laughs> <the
2: same. laughs> Absolutely.
1: So uh, that is interesting. And, of course, you would advise people to not just assume that since they haven't gotten it before, they probably won't get it again. Because, uh, as you said earlier, there's a lot of unknowns with this, exactly how it reacts to people and how people develop the allergy.
2: Exactly. And to, uh, to um, circle back to what you asked me before, there's another really kind of encouraging um, research front that's ongoing right now, which is they've developed an alpha-gal negative pig. So they, they have a pig that was like genetically bred to not express alpha-gal. So they're doing studies in patients with alpha-gal allergy um, to see if they can eat, safely eat this alpha-gal free pork. So there is hope for people who do have alpha-gal allergy that in the future, they'll be developing lines of cattle and lines of pig that don't express alpha-gal. So there may be hope that even people with alpha-gal allergy may someday be able to eat meat like the rest of us.
1: If, if they're comfortable eating genetically modified meat, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole different question. That's a whole different question for another conversation. Yeah. But it actually has a lot of medical benefits too because um, alpha-gal is also not, not the allergy end of it but alpha-gal is also implicated in a lot of like um, transplant rejection. So like sometimes when they put in like when someone needs a heart transplant or they need a valve replacement and they're trying to use a a different mammal as a source of that transplant, Uh, the reason that they think a lot of humans reject it is because they reject the alpha-gal part of that. So they're Studying the gal-negative pig not just for people to be able to eat pork, but it has other uh, therapeutic. Um, it'll have other therapeutic benefits as well.
1: well that's interesting because uh, uh, alpha gal for us at least. It's this is the only. Obviously, I'm not a doctor or anything like that. But this is the only time that I had ever heard of it being spoken about was with the uh, meat allergy. But I, I guess it has other things. Once people recognize it and start looking around, you're going to find more and more things that could be affected by it. Um, what are you seeing as far as trends? Are you seeing an increase or a decrease in the amount of people having the uh, a negative reaction? I mean, obviously, as more and more people get stung, the numbers are going to go up. But honestly, I think at this point, everybody's probably been bitten on the East End by a Lone Star tick at least once.
2: Oh, exactly. I know. that's And the funny thing, Chris, is people don't um, – sometimes they don't realize that they've been bitten by a Lone Star tick because people have this, like, vision in their head that if if they get bitten by – Um, a big tick with a white dot on it, then that's the Lone Star Tick. But if they get bitten by a teeny tiny tick, everyone just assumes that's the deer tick. Mm. And that's not necessarily true. So the Lone Star Tick can bite a person in any stage of its life cycle. So we have the larva, which I already mentioned, are like what people mistakenly call chiggers. Then we have the nymphs, which come out the same time as the deer tick nymphs, and they're also tiny like a poppy seed. So unless you're like a professional entomologist or you have a really good microscope at home, it's, it's very hard to tell the difference between a nymph deer tick and a nymph lone star tick. So just because you've been bitten by a tiny tick that doesn't have a white dot on it uh, doesn't necessarily mean you didn't get a lone star tick bite. And the, uh, the adult male Lone Star Tick does not have a white dot. It's just the adult female that has the white dot. So you're right that pretty much everybody who's had a tick bite out here has probably had a Lone Star Tick bite at one point or another. It's becoming the most... It is the most prevalent tick out here right now. It's outcompeted the deer tick and the dog tick for being the most common tick that you're going to encounter out here. And it's a very aggressive tick. So I think as the Lone Star Tick population has been on the rise... We're seeing more and more people getting Lone Star Tick Bites, which is part of the reason that I continue to see uh, an increase in the number of cases um, each year. And this year, it's funny, I didn't realize this, but I keep a a count of all my alpha-gal patients each year for for the Tick-Borne Disease Resource Center just for our database, and I had a huge bump in 2020 compared to 2019 and you know the the people at the center and and myself we've all been speculating as to why that could be the case and i have a couple of theories i mean no one knows for sure i think that the fact that the lone star tick population is increasing in general i think that's part of it i also think there's more awareness of alpha gal allergy so more people if they're having symptoms or reactions they're recognizing what it is and they're getting tested for the allergy whereas in the past when someone has a a allergic reaction several hours after eating a food they've eaten their whole life they didn't necessarily make the leap that one could be related to the other so i think there's more awareness of alpha gal allergy but i also think over the past year with the pandemic as you well know our our year-round population out here has exploded so i think there's just more people out here than there have been uh in previous years on you know on a year-round basis and i think my, my other theory was that you know last year we couldn't do any indoor stuff we couldn't do any socializing so i don't know about your family but we did an awful lot of trail hiking and walking in the dunes and doing you know outdoor distanced family stuff that felt safe um which was great for covid but not so good for ticks
1: yeah, I remember that a lot of the uh, a lot of trails and whatnot. You go to a trail, you'd be like, "Hey, let's go for hiking." There's no parking by the trail. <laughs> Usually, you just pull by yep. the side of the road and go. you're like, "Holy cow! There's no parking." So that was definitely. And I think people were definitely out and about more. And uh, got it. As far as not realizing what it is, um, I've only uh, honestly, I've only ever seen the more um, the more serious reactions. But I don't know how somebody could avoid uh, how they could ignore it. You know, you have that reaction. And you say, oh, "That was really strange." Well, I'm just going to. Uh, put that in my memory bank somewhere but the next time you eat meat it pops up again you know how do you ignore that
2: (laughs) i I think what i actually it's funny you ask because i actually saw a patient earlier today who had had uh it was but wasn't until the fourth reaction that they realized what it might be and i think the tricky thing with alpha gal allergy is it's not like other food allergies where it happens immediately there's a delay of like three to six hours so, and it's a food that they've always been able to eat. So, and and there's also with alpha gal allergy, in really bad reactions, people will often get like itching and hives all over their whole body. Right. But another really common symptom of alpha gal allergy reaction is gastrointestinal issues, like sudden onset abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, uh, diarrhea, things like that. That's it's much more common with alpha gal allergy than it is with other food allergies. So, I think sometimes people eat a steak or a burger and they wake up hours later and they just have the really bad stomach symptoms or even if they get a little bit of hives they focus on the stomach stuff and they think maybe they have food poisoning or something like that or they got a stomach bug you know they don't yeah. necessarily make the leap to oh the burger i ate five hours ago is what's causing me to get have an allergic reaction now at least that's how it was in the past or how it is with people who you know, have just relocated out here who maybe mm-hmm. haven't heard about the allergy. But you're, but you're right. More and more people, as more and more people become aware of it, that, you know, the minute someone wakes up in the middle of the night having an allergic reaction, their first thought is, what did I eat for dinner? And their second thought is, oh my God, I have the tick allergy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, and I, I assume it's with like a, a lot of the other tick-borne diseases that you don't always see the red mark, the bullseye once you've been bitten by one that could uh, possibly bring on this allergy, Right.
2: Right. So, interestingly, people who develop alpha-gal allergy do tend to get more exaggerated skin reactions to okay. their tick bite, but it's not like a, not always a classic bullseye like you would see with Lyme. But I don't, you, I'm sure you've had lone star tick bites. Do you, you know, a lot of times when you get a lone star tick bite, it'll stay itchy. There'll be an itchy bump there that'll stay True. sometimes for over a month. So, you know, that's not uncommon for any of us. It's a little like localized reaction to the bite. But people with alpha-gal allergy do tend to show more extreme and more exaggerated local reactions after they get a lone star tick bite. But of course, there are exceptions. Like I saw a patient earlier today who didn't even recall having had a bite. And she was a a track runner and, and she was running in trails and stuff. And she recalled seeing ticks walking on her but she had no recollection of a recent bite, but she must have had one because that's the only thing we know that causes people to get alpha-gal allergy. That's
1: right. That's right. And you're, in a, you're an advisor at the uh, Stony Brook Southampton Regional Tick-Borne Disease Center. I know they put out a, a, a booklet, quite a, a, quite a detailed booklet uh, recently, kind of giving people a lot of heads up, understanding what the different tick-borne diseases are out there, how to avoid them, and what to expect from them, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I wrote the Alphagal chapter. I have one sitting on my desk right here right now. It's a uh-huh. fantastic resource. Um, our coordinator uh, Karen Wolfrat gets the majority of credit for putting this um, fantastic uh, resource together. I have them in my office. If you call the Tickborne Disease Resource Center, uh, you can request a free copy. And I know they sent, um, they placed them in a lot of the local papers a couple of weeks ago. So if you picked up um the the press you would get a copy in in the press it's a really fantastic resource there's a lot of photos they talk about the different tick-borne illnesses and there's even a really great um chapter on tick avoidance and things like that so um highly recommend that everybody get their hands on a uh, copy
1: yeah. It does seem like a bit of paradise out here at times. We've got to remember, we do have uh, certain things that can really uh, ruin the day, ruin the summer, ruin a few years of your life, actually, if you get this. So you've got to be quite careful, and it's great that it's being uh, brought to the forefront. Again, the Regional tick Disease Resource Center, uh, 631-726-TICK, or you can visit eastendtickresource.org. And I want to thank you, uh, Dr. McGinty, for spending a little time with us explaining some of the uh, allergic reactions people may have to the alpha-gal tick allergy and, uh, and what they can do about it. So, thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
2: Uh, Chris, it was a pleasure.
1: Anytime. All right. Thank you so much uh, for all you do in helping the people on the East End. That's uh, Dr. Aaron McGinty, an allergist, offices here on the East End with uh, ENT and Allergy Associates, and as I said, an advisor at the Regional Tick-Borne Disease Center through Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. Now, I want to welcome onto the show a, a Dr. Felma uh, Gaetano. Uh, did I pronounce that right, Doctor? Yes, you did. Oh, good. I want to make sure on that. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. You're a a pediatrician who has uh, just joined the uh, West Hampton primary care practice, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. I moved here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, really? How long ago?
0: We just moved in November, late November.
1: Oh, wow. So really new to the area. This is going to be your first summer out here.
0: Yes, it is. Oh, well, welcome. Very
1: beautiful. We we could definitely always use uh, more pediatricians as more as more people have moved out here full time uh, from the city, from other areas, and there's a definite need for it. And you are at the West Hampton Primary Care Practice, which is on uh, Beach Road. And uh, tell me about the practice. The
0: practice is... it's full of a lot of family practice docs and, and me, one pediatrician, and we all take care of children. So um, we are able to see patients even on a walk-in basis every day um, during the week and, and even uh, on Saturdays as well. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful little practice that we have there, and we're trying to um, encourage more kids to come in because uh we just feel like there's a need there on the in in the west hampton area and remsenburg area um for a pediatrician and so we're definitely filling up fast
1: I know a lot on the east, and I have a few of young kids, and I know it's, it can be very difficult. There's a, you know, a, there's a lot of people out here, especially in the summer when it does swell, the population swells, and it's not always easy to get an appointment, so that's, a, that's great to have more uh, uh, pediatricians in the area. Are you guys administering the uh, COVID vaccinations for those that are
0: eligible? Well, we are over at the uh, Stony Brook Southampton campus uh, uh, vaccination pods and you don't even need an appointment for those. Um, and you can just you can get info on the Stony Brook Southampton website. It's that so dot southampton.stonybrookmedicine.edu backslash COVID-19 vaccinations. I thought I should tell you that because I say it so often to parents. Wow, Um, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the reality is we, um, we don't do the vaccines over at our office because they have... Some unique storage um, requirements and so um, individual outpatient offices have difficulty maintaining those so it's better to have them at the pods and other places that can keep those stringent requirements
1: right as a uh, as a pediatrician though you could uh, you'd be willing to uh, and able to give uh, a good advice to parents who are wondering whether they should or should not have their child vaccinated though right
0: Oh yes, definitely. I recommend it. You know, we have. You know, everyone has heard about the different variants that have emerged from um, the UK and from India. The alpha variant was getting a lot of uh, press, and and was everyone had everyone in a panic. Uh, Previously, But then we came out with the Delta variant from India, which is even more transmissible and causes even more severe illness. So now more than ever, we need to get um, all the children who can be vaccinated, who are eligible to go ahead and get their vaccine.
1: I know there are some current concerns, uh, with the vaccine, uh, for younger people, but there's also, uh, it seems like larger concerns with them not getting vaccinated. I saw something recently, a story about a, uh, a group in Texas, and I think it was 150, uh, children in this camp, uh, all came down with it because they were all there and they just, they just pass it around very easily, especially kids. It's so, it's, it's so tricky to keep them, keep the masks on, the social distancing, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, they can really be the, uh, they can really be the place where the, where the variant lives. And, uh, mutates even more and then gets passed on to the rest of the population
0: it's so true because kids can be completely asymptomatic or they can have you know severe illness i'm sure you've heard of the multi-system inflammatory syndrome that we're seeing in children as well as adults um but the, there's one there's a lot of concern that uh you know we haven't seen the end to these variants we, you know, we have the LFO, we have the Delta. There's the CDC website has a whole list of variants, and they have it actually um, allocated by state. So if you wanted to see what which ones were more prevalent in your state, you could do that. But I think we haven't seen the, the end of these variants. It's going to continue to mutate, and we're going to continue to see um, different Different forms of severe illness. My fear, of course, is that we're going to see more illness in children. That there is going to be a variant that inevitably um, starts to affect children more than it does.
1: Oh well, yeah, if it, if it keeps working and keeps mutating, eventually it'll mutate into something that. Yeah, that, 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 I agree. That is a giant fear. Um, are you uh, Are you accepting new patients over there, Doctor Gaetano?
0: Oh, yes, yes, we are, because, as I said, uh, you know, and we're definitely, as I said, filling up, but we do take same-day appointments, and, you know, we are, we try to accommodate all the kids that, that need to be seen, because with COVID and parents wanting their kids, you know, to to be tested if they have had an exposure or if they have symptoms, you know, unfortunately, we, we are still dealing with the regular summer viruses and they're kind of intermixed, these symptoms, with with the COVID symptoms. So, you know, we are, most of what we're seeing is just what we normally see every summer, adenovirus or other, you know, gastrointestinal illnesses, but of course, everyone is worried that this could be COVID, so... And, and, you know, it can prohibit their return to camp or re- return to daycare. So we go ahead and, and we are able to um, test just for COVID. We also have a, biofile, a biofire respiratory panel that we're able to test for a whole variety of viral illnesses.
1: Well, this being your first summer there, it would be tough to set up a baseline to see if you getting increasing numbers or whatnot. But uh, how do you feel? Do you, f- you feel you're getting more parents that are uh, concerned about uh, uh, the COVID virus, bringing their children in, or are they, um, or are they still a little leery of that? I, I think at this point, most parents are pretty, uh, pretty, pretty comfortable um, coming into uh, doctors' offices and whatnot, right?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, most I parents are pretty comfortable. They they are very well aware of the fact that. You know, their child could be the the vector that spreads it everywhere. So they want to be tested. They want to keep their grandparents safe and other people in the community safe. So, uh, for the most part, people are very responsible. They want uh, they want to make sure that they're they're being responsible with, to the community and and testing the kids if they're having any symptoms or they've had an exposure um, they're taking it very seriously what i'm seeing
1: all right well you say uh, i know you said that there's uh, you try to get in people see people that same day and uh, i have a note here it says no appointment necessary on thursdays and fridays how do you uh, how do you keep people separated if there's a question of that a concern that the child may be coming in uh, uh with the covid covid virus
0: We do bring them into a a separate entrance, and we have a room that's designated for those sick children, Um, especially because we have the adult population there in that office as well. Mm -hmm. So we take extra precautions. Whereas if you have just a general pediatrics practice, oftentimes, you know, you, you don't worry about that elderly grandmother who may be coming in um, or, or uh, someone with an, who's immune compromised in some way. So we, we, don't, we keep them out of the waiting room, and then we just kind of shuffle them in a separate door and bring them straight into the room that we do our testing in okay. for anyone who has any symptoms whatsoever.
1: Okay. As a pediatrician i 'm sure you've uh, you 're studying all the journals and on the latest information coming out as you make your recommendations are there any uh, do you have any uh, uh, fears about or uh, concerns about uh, children getting the uh, uh, taking the vaccine one of the vaccines
0: i don 't I, I think that it 's important that we vaccinate all the kids who are eligible because, as I said. You know this is this is the population where it's going to be spread because they can be asymptomatic they can be attending daycare or summer camp and be infected and have zero symptoms and of course having the vaccine will cut down on that drastically because as i said parents do want to do the responsible thing they aren't they don't want to send their children if they are having symptoms but unfortunately we may not even know if they're infected so we it's it's very important that we vaccinate these age these younger age groups and hopefully we'll have a vaccine in the near future for the youngest of children as
1: well. All right. I'm listening to that there might be uh, maybe a space for testing, uh, a testing of uh, a children before they're allowed to go back into the schools or allowed into these big groups. Uh, does that make sense at all from a, from a medical point of view, from a medical provider point of view, to catch some of the asymptomatic cases?
0: Yes, and actually, there are a lot of colleges right now who are requiring COVID testing. A lot of the summer camps are requiring COVID tests prior to entry into the camp, during the summer camps, and uh, on exit from the summer camp. Um, We're seeing that, of course, this past year, we've seen where a certain subset would be randomly chosen in certain classes, and then they would just test, you know, 15% or 20% of the children randomly so that they could try to eliminate those asymptomatic kids and and cut down on school absences and the spread of the virus
1: yeah Well, you are a pediatrician over there at West Hampton, and you've got a lot of different things. I'm sure people come in with all kinds of ailments, all kinds of issues. And this is just a time and the place that we're in where COVID still is taking a marquee position in all of this. But there's a lot of other things going on. We were just speaking with Dr. McGinty, who's an allergist, who deals with the alpha-gal tick allergy, which is something that I don't know if you would have experienced that in Pittsburgh. Is that where you're from? Yes, in
0: Pittsburgh. Tick-borne disease is not as big of a time. Topic as it is here in new york i will tell you that definitely
1: and i'm sure you've started to see a lot of these cases come in right
0: Yes, I have, and I'm really shocked at the number of ticks that I've seen, even in my own yard. <laughs> I know, it's uh, it's become a necessity to uh,
1: to spray for ticks. That's one of those things. It's like living in Florida and spraying for bugs. You're here in New York, you must spray for ticks. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. I, but uh, we have we just have containers right outside the front door, and as we go out, we just spray it. We found one that works pretty well to uh, to uh, kind of kind of keep them away, but not all of them. You know, That's, I don't know if there is really anything to keep them all away. But I have been
0: shocked. I- truly because I, even going in my yard, I, it's almost a daily occurrence where I, I have ticks that are on myself or one of my children. So it, it is definitely a routine that we've had to come into uh, to get used to where you're, you check almost nightly well you have to check nightly
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's uh, to be honest with you you'll see it's too it's you're 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 going to miss them you're going to miss some of them you know they're just some of those things are just so tiny but that's uh, that's and when you uh, have
0: pets i think that it's impossible to monitor that because they, the, the pets bring them in
1: yeah and and those and these lone star ticks actually track you know living breathing creatures and kind of track them and follow them and once they get into your house they can they can wait a little while and then maybe wander over to you even if it could be hours after you've been outdoors you know if it comes in on a pet so
0: or if, or if you haven't been outdoors at all they just come in on your pet
1: that's true that's true anyway thank you uh dr Gaetano, for taking the time to speak with us today you've got the uh, uh you're a pediatrician over at the west hampton primary care practice uh a new pretty pediatrician there and uh, we're uh, really grateful to have you in the area. You guys are located at 147 Beach Road. Uh, no appointment necessary. Thursdays and Fridays. And uh, what's a good number if somebody would like to call make an appointment with uh, with you?
2: Oh
0: well, geez, now I have to I have to look that. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> it
1: is. Geez, I don't have the I it. I uh, got. Let me see. Uh, six oh, here three... it is. 631-288-7746. There you go.
0: <laughs> eventually it'll come to me
1: well nobody remembers their own phone numbers anymore we all just you know <laughs> or anybody else's numbers they're all just a list on our uh, on our phones but uh that's the number 631-288-7746 dr gaetano thank you so much for spending a little time with us this afternoon Thank you for having me, Chris. Okay, bye-bye. That's uh, Dr. Gaetano, a pediatrician, West Hampton uh, Primary Care Practice, 147 Beach Road, 631-288-7746. I want to stank- thank Stony Brook Southampton Hospital for bringing us this information on a regular basis. It's 1.30 right now is your WLNG time. LNG, 92.1